0: Hello and welcome to the Explorer's Journal, the first, and thus the best, Arcworld podcast. Join me south of the Drakensfall and north of the Jernspeak. Join me from the farthest western point of Esandaluca to the eastern shores of Halvamain. The mages in the Milldark provide me the room and the magic at Mount Orion to project my voice all around the world of Archimundi Altius. On this episode, we're going really deep into the halfling lore and strategies for playing the short and stout characters. I'm going to butcher a lot of pronunciations and we have our first guest. Quick disclaimer before we start though, the information presented is based on current rules for halflings released in April of 2020, so some changes may occur as updates to the factions happen. So let's introduce our guest. If you've been on the ArcWorld fan page for more than a month, you've seen his name before and you've spoken to him. It's Dagfin, and Dagfin has been around for a long time. In fact, he's the inventor of the town of Cushington lore. He actually invented it before Arc World was created. So Dagfin, what got you into Arc World?
1: Well, as I said, I've been around for years. Uh, I was even along back in the days uh, when posting on things weren't on Facebook or Instagram. It was forums. We had to comment and you had to upload pictures to a website and copy that URL link into the forum and uh, use codes and whatnot to get a good-looking forum page. And there was what this one guy who made an awesome-looking uh, Lizardman army. Loads of conversions. And he was Warlock Monkey. Uh, and we all know who that is. That is the creator of Arcworld. The legendary, uh, Alex, yeah. The legendary. And it went from Lizardmen to Trolls. But it was when the Halflings got around that I really got excited about it. And, uh, yeah. So... I saw the birth of Arkworld, and it's been an incredible journey to um, just like look into.
0: Right, so you've been playing Arkworld since Arkworld's been a thing. Do you play other tabletop games, other miniatures games, card games?
1: Yeah, that was what got me into the forums in the first place. That was Warhammer Fantasy. Right. Um, And I've also been into Mordheim, I've been into Blood Bowl. But after uh, Warhammer Fantasy was sort of like a thing of the past, and Age of Sigmar came Mm. around, I've only played one game of that. Uh, I've found a love for Kings of War, which is also a mass unit strategy game that I really enjoy. But I think the best games I've ever played are the ones that are story-driven and skirmish games that you could really get into the like almost scenographic scenes um that's what i love about arc world it is almost as if you're watching a movie
0: yeah in and the, the, making. the feat system really lets you play that out too yeah, that's
1: a brilliant thing uh, and it's that's where all the fun things happen because i can really see what's going on
0: yeah so speaking of ArkWorld, what would you say has been your best experience with the
1: game Oh, that's so many. Um, the first time I went to Salute, um, I was allowed to do some great demo games with players just discovering the game. But still, the best game that was uh, made of mine, Espen, also part of the Facebook group, he has made a terrific, fantastic-looking gaming board that's like a town on a s- slope uh, out into the uh, rock, outcrop cro- into the sea. And we had pirates coming in from the sea, and we had wild elves from the inland. And I was playing halflings defending the town, along with another player and an espen, and a fourth player played the wild elves and pirates. And we had this huge whale under the leviathan, climbing <laughs> up the hillside <laughs> and just plummeting down through the town, killing everything in its path. And it was uh, it was a great experience, uh, just. To have a very good looking battle board and a yeah. uh, good rule set to back it up.
0: Yeah, definitely. And, uh, you know, I don't know, maybe it's my Undead Raiders bias, but the Undead Leviathan is my favorite model that Alex has made so far.
1: It is. It's mm. sort of like uh, you either love it or you hate it. Mm-hmm. I love it, but for those that don't really Flying zombie whale. (laughs) It's like, they don't don't get it. Yeah. (laughs) It's fantasy. Come on. You you just have to (laughs) accept it for what it is and then... Mm -hmm. But let's talk about halflings. Of course. (laughs) But yeah, that was part of the great part of the game. Hmm. The the, uh, Leviathan.
0: And you know, if there's a best experience, there's got to be a worst experience too. So do you have any that come to mind? Like, I'm sure Um, the worst experience is probably still a great one, but, you know, anything.
1: Well um i think I, I think the one there was this one game I took the game to a local game club i had a few guys looking at it and they, i played a quick scenario just to show them the rules and and the models and then they wanted to play more and i said all right let's do a three faction against a giant mm. and it was a great game uh, and we just had to like all the three war bands were like testing out who's going to go after the giant and and we had to end it. And that was sort of like the bad thing about that. that's that's what's made it a bad mm. experience because we couldn't finish it. And we never got around to figure out how good that giant really was. Right. And so it's uh it's still gnawing at me <laughs> to not have play that game to its full potential.
0: Well I mean with the Giant test coming out you might be able to revisit that in the future, right?
1: well once we're allowed to game again
0: yeah yeah once again thank you for joining me i guess at this point we're going to really talk about the hobbits and not just the strategy and the list building but we're going to get into the lore too and believe you me there's a lot of lore to get through so we're going to crank some out and see how it goes we all know the area of hobbleshire but what we might not know is that it's been settled by halflings probably for as long as there's been halflings the rich fertile soil in the rolling green hills make it a paradise for agriculture and raising livestock. The archaeologists from the University of Camford have found cooking utensils thought to date back to over 10,000 years ago, and it's more than likely that halflings have inhabited the area for even longer than that. While halflings can be found everywhere that humans also live, there are some areas of the world that are almost exclusively populated by them. One such place is Greater Hobbleshire, which is a nation composed of self-sufficient cities and settlements with their own individual bodies of governments. Usually mayors run the towns, and while each town is technically a democracy, it's pretty common for a mayor to stay into their position until they retire or die, as halflings are kind of conservative, so it would take a monumentally horrible mayor for them to consider it. There's no actual capital city in Greater Hobbleshire, but they all have the same currency, and that is the Hobbleshire shilling. And while the country itself is overwhelmingly halfling, there are some non-halflings living there but they're usually met with distrust or outright violence, due to events we'll talk about later. And then there are many coastal towns in the country that are a lot more likely to be multicultural, except when it comes to humans. There's a tension with humans since the halfling civil war of 4054, and sometimes different halfling towns have pretty strong rivalries, leading to small-scale warfare, skirmishes, battles, and other sorts of disagreements over land and old grudges. Every halfling in Hobbleshire is trained to fight, and their militias are well equipped and dressed in the colors of their town. So, off the bat, halflings have been around for forever, haven't they?
1: Indeed. Uh, they're all like the foundations of the uh, of the world, mm-hmm. I think. And who, who can blame them? They are sort of like a people of the land, if you will.
0: Yeah, it's one of their things. It's the farming, It's they're not big on cities. And I think and a lot progress of. Progress that- in general. Mm hmm. And I think that's gotten worse because of the Halfling Civil War, which there's probably been history books written on individual battles of that war. Since the Halfling Civil War, there's been a concerted effort by the citizens of Hobbleshire to settle further and further within the Mildark Forest. The expanded area, known as Greater Hobbleshire, is dotted with villages and isolated farmsteads. It's a pretty tough life, as felled trees can grow back at astonishing rates Attacks from enemies are common, and the Arcanite-rich soil can produce some startling but interesting effects on vegetables that are grown there. The militia in a lot of the isolated towns are kept busy, and they're all too eager to start a scrap with local monsters or warbands in order to claim more land for themselves. Another halfling country is Riverjick. Right. You got that one.
1: <laughs> it's the... Uh, Riverdryk.
0: Yes. It's the northeast neighbor to Greater Hobbleshire. They're, they do have a capital city known as Domstarn, which is a huge river city and a major port from Dryerbuk Bay to the rest of the Upper Arkworld mainland. It's considered a center of commerce and trade, and adventurers that are preparing to enter the Mildark frequently stop in the city. Their currency is the. You got
1: it? <laughs> Their currency is the Riverrite Gilder.
0: But they more commonly use the Albionic and Griff. Like Greater Halbleshire, the population is mainly halflings but the cosmopolitan attitude of the halflings here allow for a much greater mixture of races and cultures. Many refugees from the halfling civil war ended up settling here. The city is known for creating some of the finest ships and the general sailing ability of their population, and their diet is predominantly fish, so anybody coming to Damstorm for their famously wild nightlife ends that night with expertly prepared fish and chips. Unlike Cobbleshire, the country is ruled by Grand Burgermeister Johann de Forl of Damstarn. And then, of course, there are other isolated populations of halflings in Norsfald, who tend to live in and on top of the mountains. These halflings are famed for their excellent facial hair, their expertise in mining, and wearing chainmail way too often. Well, I spent a lot of time talking about halfling culture and lore, but how about you tell us a little more about Cushington Dagfin?
1: So yeah, Cushington is sort of like the uh, main town of a large area called Borgen and it's uh, a place where farms are spread over large areas and it's it's sort of like a non-fertile soil only a feet deep and they're not really suited for farming unlike that along the river so like a huge river going in from the sea ending up in three linked freshwater lakes and it's been a market there uh, between the lake lung and lake roth and that's sort of like been the where people gathered and it was not until the creation of the Cushion that the town really took place. The farms have been around for as long as anyone can remember or even heard talk of. However, once the town took place, many halflings looked for work from a different form of life than farming and gathered to Cushington. Thus, the town had quite many people from all over the area and the Cushington halflings are usually friendly and helpful. They do all the best to help and help is given before it even is asked for It's so, like people do what they do best hmm. and what somebody do well others might not do as well and they help each other out it's it's not like a utopia you don't really they don't really have any currency because all what comes around goes around right. but trade with the empire and other parts is used uh, for with coin and uh, we're back to the Civil War again, because until then, the concept of classes didn't exist. You know, those that had loads of land had a responsibility to feed the others. And uh, the ones running the uh, cushion factories were responsible for the ones working there. But we can get more into that uh, once we talk about the Civil War.
0: Yeah, and I think uh, that's a pretty good time to start talking about the Civil War. You know, we mentioned it five or six times by now and we've teased the audience enough so the halfling civil war occurred roughly five years ago in the Arcworld timeline and it's still fresh in the minds of many halflings talking about it especially to outsiders is a sore subject that could bring even the calmest folk to passion for many many years hobbleshire had a close relationship with the albionican empire as albionica's population increasingly left their boring rural lives for grueling urban ones Most of the country's food was imported from Hobbleshire. In return for low prices and excellent quality, the Empire provided protection from outside threats. However, during the events of the Troubles of the North, many halflings were outraged at the lack of aid from the Empire. Left to defend themselves, grumbles turned into accusations, which boiled over into violence. Halflings who were vocally in support of the Empire were often attacked by angry mobs, and many fled to the neighboring Zipersai to escape the violence. Eventually, all-out conflict occurred, with skirmishes between towns or even within towns. Brother fought brother, and the whole of Hobbleshire was racked with battles. The Empire, concerned about the distribution of their food supplies, funded the war bands loyal to them with gold, weapons, and equipment. Their militias called themselves the Crimson Fellowship, and wore the red uniform of the Empire to show their allegiance. Those who were against any ties at all with the Empire proudly wore their town's colors and banded together under the name of Hobbleshire.
1: So yeah, that was basically what happens. The Albionicans backed out uh, because they had to had a huge war going on in the uh, north. All that stuff was going on up there, mm-hmm. and they still needed the food. They still needed textile. They still needed cushions because even even in wartime, people need t- to have some comfort. And uh, that also brought up a huge, huge unrest in ho- in the Cushington halfling town because the there was. More raids coming in, there were more monsters driven from the Arkstorms within the Milldock Forest, and they both had to deliver to the Empire, and they had to defend themselves. The uh, support of the troops no longer was there. So there was a huge uprising in Cushington that led to the famous Lake Lung Pillow fight. Where the uh, citizens stormed the ships and cut open all the pillows and threw them overboard. Mm. And after that, the Empire was banned, and a guy called the Royal Mudboot took over the charge in Cushington. And he was sort of like a guy who managed to unite people against the common foe and built on an unrest and, and like change is scary and progress should never be. Just for the sake of progress. So, the Halfling still needed the merchants to trade, to secure weapons, and, and yeah. So, that's when the unrest really happened in, in Cushington.
0: Now, the major player for the Halflings was the Sons of Hobbleshire, and they were the ones who wished to cut all ties and allegiances with the Empire and reinforce their traditional conservative way of life. They're extremely hostile towards outsiders, especially humans and many towns loyal to the empire were besieged and their citizens expelled from the country. The Crimson Fellowship wished to strengthen ties of the empire and rebuild Hobbleshire as a modern state. They sought to move away from the dyed-in-the-wool traditions most halflings hold dear and bring them kicking and screaming into the 41st century. So after six months of fighting, with many lives lost on both sides, the sons of Hobbleshire were victorious. The Crimson Fellowship even with their modern weapons and imperial gold, were no match for the natural stubbornness of the vast majority of the halfling population. After the remaining forces were expelled from Hobbleshire to find refuge in <laughs> or other imperial territories, those remaining in Hobbleshire began to rebuild. Victorious against the distrusted forces of modernity, those in Hobbleshire clung even tighter to the old ways, and their distrust of outsiders has grown even stronger.
1: Yeah, and for Cushington, that was not until a treaty was made between the uh, the ones supporting the empire and the ones wanting the old ways. Because, uh, as I said earlier, now we had a set of class. The ones supporting the old ways were farmers and sheep herders and hunters, while well, the new ones are the ones who were relying on cushion trade. Because if you couldn't ship all those cushions out of Cushington there would really be a, a surplus that wasn't good for no one and all ones working in the featheries and weaveries and all that other stuff were out of a job so the old mayor Dingham Water Mayor was able to strike a deal and now he could charge even more for the cushions production and uh, he overthrew major mud boots many efforts to blame the Albionicans for all the bad things happened, and the majority of the town started seeing him for what he was, and they re-elected Dengham mayor as their um, mayor. Well, there is, as I said before, no real power in being a mayor, and uh, they always find someone they can trust, rather than somebody who uses the role as mayor for their own benefits.
0: And then now today, five years later, there's really not much infighting between Halfling's loyal to Albionica and Halfling's loyal to their kin. Most of the Crimson Fellowship sympathetics have been expelled, voluntarily left, or just keep quiet. It's been thought that there are some underground Crimson Fellowship groups, but it appears that these rumors are started by the governing bodies of individual Habershire townships to demonize outsiders. Now, Hobbleshire and Greater Hobbleshire is a huge land with many important towns. One of them is Dryfield. It's the biggest township and it has the largest militia. They adorn themselves in blue and white, which is famous across Hobbleshire, and many younger halflings dream of visiting one day, if only they were ever the type to go more than four miles from their village. Up Your Crumpet is an isolated town within the Milldark Forest, and it's a common stop for adventurers that wish to make their way into the interior of the Milldark. Occasionally, these adventurers will perish in a beastfolk or wild elf raid on the town. Further into the Milldark is Millwood. The halflings there are notorious for their monster hunting, and their major export is valuable wood from the Mildark trees. Mutton Chomswick is a town surrounded by heathland and supplies many of the citizens of Hobbleshire with strong wolves and battle-ready sheep. They're famous for the iron wool sheep especially, who are endemic to the area.
1: We should also mention the Stainhold, which is uh, used to be on the northern border of the Hobbleshire, and uh, they were sort of like known for hardy, stirred folk who find themselves under countless attacks from from the frozen waters of the north. And also there's been many buglins and monsters that have always been r- roaming around the countryside, especially around Cushington.
0: Now there's a town Bally Cumberlow Pit Stands Fortingly Bingle Grip Ender Finching Topple shamblegumpin which is world renowned well, for you being a that village. Good? <laughs> 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 That's why I, I I broke it down so many times to get it right. And it's, it's world-renowned for having the longest name. It's 75 letters, if you couldn't tell by listening. Now, a lot of attempts have been made to beat the record, but in order for a town to count, a halfling has to be able to say the entire name in a single breath. So there have been at least three occasions where a poor soul departed mid-pronunciation of hopeful record-breaker. Now, there's a town, Flotsam Jetsley, which is on the west coast of Hoppleshire, it has a pretty long history of friendliness towards outsiders. It's considered to be highly metropolitan, and the militia uniform imitates the uniforms of the Albionican Empire with their reds and whites.
1: Hofflings have created many incredible things and are used or desired all around the art world. Hobloser is famous for countless culinary marvels, and many towns and cities around the world invested with or begging for hoffling eateries. And they're like mutton stews and cockle pies and, yeah. Basically, anything you could cook, the halflings have cooked it. And even things <laughs> that are thought of being poisonous, the halflings turn into delicious dishes.
0: Life uh, finds a way, doesn't it?
1: Oh, it does. <laughs> uh, and if it doesn't kill you, it will only make you fatter, <laughs> as they say. Other than food... Hobbitrai folk are fairly conservative and don't really take time for it to try any fancy new ideas. But that, as a direct contrast to Riverreich, is famous for mechanical marvels and many of the Engineers Guild of Albionica hail from the workshops of Darmstrom. Some of the greatest inventors of the Empire are conjured from the fevered minds of Drake Carflings, though they are rather you don't know that. That said, one of the most brilliant inventions of all times is halfling made it is the cushion <laughs> and the story of that one uh, can be found in my blog on the um facebook page mm-hmm. and it was written by alex way back in the day so
0: definitely take a look everyone
1: hoffings uh, also sentimental creatures and speak of the past of great pride and every town in hobbleshire has countless tales of heroism from uh lauded citizens through the ages And every town can point to at least one historical character uh, that is a hero, and their town have, like, a statue of it in bronze or stone or wood, like it is in in, uh, Cushington. Mm. I don't know if I mentioned it, but Cushington uh, has, like, a lumber colony further up the river where they cut trees from the uh, Milldock Forest, so they have abundant amounts of wood. Mm. So the... um, Main statue in the town square of Cushington is none other than Jim Light Watermeyer, the inventor of the cushion. But other than that, any good cook is considered a hero in the Halfling book.
0: Are there any other standout heroes that maybe some of our listeners might have heard of?
1: Well, in my uh, town, every Halfling is a hero, mm-hmm. even the low down militia. Got its own story and background. Um, but I'd like to mention Revintude, for instance. As I saw the model back in the day, I really adored him. Uh, and I uh, was really pleased when Alex made a new version of it. Mm-hmm. Because that story of Revintude is. Uh, I really enjoyed that model. And so he's, a, he's the only character in my collection that I've kept the name of, mm-hmm. while the, all the others get their own unique ones.
0: that's a a big part of halfling culture, is all those heroes and not so many villains. They're proud of their people.
1: Yeah, and and they are friendly-minded. They forgive and they forget. They get on with it, even though they might keep a grudge and they might keep going on, but they don't really... Once you sit down and talk with people, it's so much easier being friendly than going to be constant avoiding people or being upset about things
0: yeah and it's easier to share a meal with uh, someone you like
1: mm. but then again you have to keep in mind that they do upset each other and they like to talk about each other as well mm-hmm. so once the person comes into the room the one they were talking about could be to, like turned around to be a friendly guy instead until they once again spill out the wrong thing and a pipe breaks out so, so yeah, they, it sounds friendly, but it is, it is a tough life, and they do upset each other. They are stubborn and proud and, yeah, not really that, um, like, not educated, but hmm. they are not really that reflected, if you like. They live more in the present and not so much build on past knowledge.
0: Yeah, especially the Hobbleshire halflings. Uh, they're pretty Indeed. pretty uh, stereotypically stubborn. They're pretty traditional, and they're proud,
1: but... They don't it- travel much. They don't <laughs> travel much. It's like if you bothered walking more, more than four miles, you're, you're a well-traveled man. You know the world if you've been to the ne- neighboring city. Unlike the river halflings, which are mm-hmm. more metropolitan and got a more Mechanical multicultural mind. life. Mechanical Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and they pride themselves in looking forward and like the new world type of halflings, and uh, but but then again they are seen like the bootlickers who suck up to the empire and and uh, not really work proper.
0: Yeah, it's that it's that typical city versus country rivalry, isn't it?
1: it, it indeed, it is, and um, and each to its own, and each each of the halfling communities have their own pride and their own hmm. sort of like values if you like and then you have the half things of the News world which is uh, to the ones known in the fantasy world They're basically dwarfs basically
0: I, w- I didn't want to say it so Matthew you did <laughs> but yeah. yeah but they are
1: yeah. and and, uh, and if you if you're into the um, Warplug dig digital things mm-hmm. you, you can get them and use those models as uh, New Oswald halflings yeah I mean that, they are they check all the more marks. secretive yeah, yeah. they are secretive and reclusive and mm-hmm. stay to themselves and, and and search for metal and ore within mm-hmm. the mines yeah, and they live underground mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: yeah so we talked a lot about all these other halfling cultures but I'd also like to hear a little more about Cushington so you want to shed some light on how they compare to the other halflings that we've been talking about?
1: In Cushington, they are simple folk. Um, their their motto is for a comfort and laziness. Mm. However, they do work hard and they do things properly. Because what's, uh, how can you enjoy a good day's rest if you haven't done a good day's work? So, um, So they really do pride themselves in, in doing things real. It's like if you're a carpenter and woodworker, you want that house to stand until it rots, and then you can blame whoever did the the draining around the house for making it rot.
0: Yeah, it's really a, a pride thing for them.
1: Mm. They don't they don't want to be the one blamed for
0: that kind of mistake. No, they don't. Mm-mm. In general, uh, with the exception of Norsefold halflings. All the houses are pretty similar to a house that a human would make. You know, there's no hobbit holes here. You
1: know? No, I don't know where that comes from. Really, uh, everybody thinks the halflings live in holes, but mm. they do live in houses. They are smaller, yes, because they are mm-hmm. scaled to fit a halfling, and any visitors bound to bump their heads in if they're not careful. Yeah, it was probably uh,
0: humans that started that kind of rumor.
1: Most likely because they feel they have to crawl into them.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So yeah, and in the in Dryfield and further south there are wooden beams with with stones and plaster. Hmm. While in Cushington there are made of like massive lumber houses that are sort of like interlaced at corners and grass on the roofs. Even in the town centre, it is spread out quite. Nicely, so that everybody has plenty of plants and trees and flowers mm. between them.
0: That's nice. It's a uh, very suburban.
1: Yeah, but still mm. town centre. Yeah. So it, it is more like going around in the park than mm. you you go around in the uh, more like city style towns around mm. the uh, around the world.
0: And then in those houses, uh, it's usually the oldest member of the house that leads it, and that member could be pretty old you know they live on average 70 to 80 years like humans do as long as they don't get eaten by a troll or killed in battle or
1: leave i guess and that's the in- interesting thing about halflings because they go strong until they drop mm-hmm. uh unlike humans who sort of like windle away after passing 60 for those who are lucky to live that long yeah. the halflings are still as sturdy as today they were born until they suddenly give in. So yeah, uh, and there are loads of people in their households.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, in, um, in, C- in Cushingtons, it's not uncommon to have more than like, three or more generation on the one roof. And you need that in order to, to run the household and anything from five to eight kids.
0: The more hands on the farm, the more hands in the house, the more hands in the kitchen, the more work gets done. So halflings tend to have those very large families and part of that, you know, that's what keeps them so close and what also makes them bicker and have scuffles.
1: Uh, and uh, in the um, Cushington area, it's um, the household leader is sort of like split between the wife and the husband.
0: Hmm.
1: It's like a dual thing um, because what you do good is not necessarily what I do good. Right. And there's like fulfill each other. Uh, Normally it's the wife who take care of the internal affairs while the husband do the the family's outward face but but there's no major decision made without both agreeing.
0: That's good. And then with that whole life of comfort the Cushington halflings probably live a little longer, don't they?
1: Yeah, uh, at least uh, they like to think so. Um, (laughs) I've always imagined them to live until they were 100 but... um, I haven't really lived long enough to see any one of my characters go yet, also, <laughs> unless the ones dying, of course, or getting eaten by trolls, which do happen uh, because the Cushington area is it's um got a- quite a few river trolls in the river, mm. and um, there's also buglins and other creatures filling around. Also, the undead raiders come up the river every now and then. Basement from the trees, and so like. Not to say the wild elves terrorizing the uh, lumber colonies. Of course. So there are quite a lot of interracial uh, activities as well.
0: Have they picked up any sort of religion or religious value from their interaction with the other denizens of Arkworld?
1: No, I don't think religion is a thing in Hobbleshire mm. at all. No, not um, really. It's- I've always seen that the uh, only true religion is the preparing of a good meal and mm. brewing a good ale and and telling a good tale, the the uh, meeting up at the pub or at a festival and and stuff like that is something that uh, the Cushington Halflings really really enjoy. And it's I think the um, the biggest feasts they, they have one at least once a month. But the one that I think the biggest one is the Warplug Day. They just called in late winter, almost spring, around February twenty seventh in our so like calendar it's a parade and a competition and there's a cushion contest. Everybody that are uh, a weaver and embroidery make the best looking cushions and they're sort of like put it up on all on display. Mm. And there's this sort of like uh, monkey deity that pops up and, and on a, and grants a keg full of beer to the, um, to the best looking cushion. And it takes that cushion with them and just disappears over the night. So like it's the, and uh, it's like a big celebration Mm. and um, that beer keg is then opened that very day, same evening and uh, split between everyone attending and doesn't run out until the feast is over
0: Now February 27th, is that a significant day in human history or is it a day that uh, you just picked out of a hat maybe?
1: No, it is just vaguely coinciding with the birthday of Warblock's Alex Huntley.
0: Oh, well, I guess next February 27th, we could all raise a, a toast and maybe get our own kegs of beer for the occasion.
1: That would be very nice. Mm. I know I'll be uh, celebrating with a good cushion <laughs> and a good, nice rest.
0: I think I might too. That sounds like a pretty good idea, Dagfin. That's pretty much the lore of the halflings from the time of 10,000 years ago till now. They're very conservative people.
1: Indeed.
0: (laughs) And you know, it's been working for them. It is. Why change it, right? But, Mr. Dagfin, thank you so much for joining me on this first episode of the halfling deep dive. On the Explorers Journal podcast,
1: it has been a honor to have uh, to have been able to come along, and uh, I, it was it's the the podcast has been a great contribution to the community as well. So thank you.
0: Absolutely. Uh, so listeners, join us on part two of the Halfling Deep Dive, where we get out of the lore and get into the general overview of the faction and some strategies that you could use, and have a wonderful Mildark day. Hey, so this is Nick, coming back at you uh, from the future. That's right. i just finished editing this, and I have one thing to say. Riverrike. That's right. I will never forget it. And uh, for everyone that listened all the way to this little Easter egg, I appreciate you.